In early July, we learned that NCAA tournament expansion was, quote, not imminent. But with all the conference expansion wackiness that's happened since, has NCAA tournament expansion suddenly now become necessary? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. I'm your host today, Isaac Shaden. I want to thank you for joining us to get all the best stuff about college basketball every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college terms and conditions apply coming up on the show today. This is what we're talking about. The potential of NCAA tournament expansion actually being more imminent than maybe you and I had ever thought uh, later on in the show. I want to give you some proposed models for what it could look like. I want to give you some proposed scheduling things for what it could look like. I'd love to hear yours. Uh, I, I know that maybe through the years you've thought about, man, if, if tournament expanded, what might it look like and how would we do it? I'd love to hear your suggestions. You can drop them in the comments on YouTube or find me on Twitter and DM me anything like that. But first, I just want to unpack why this is a thing and what it might look like. You probably recall if you're an everyday or here with us all the time that on Wednesday, I discussed this proposed new Fox post season tournament, 16 teams from the Big East, Big Ten, and Big 12, teams that don't qualify for the NCAA tournament that would be forced to play in this thing. Well, here's the deal. That concept, that idea has stirred up a lot of angst amongst all sorts of folks about a trickle-down effect of that possibility and what it might mean for other postseason tournaments, namely the NIT, but I, there's also been a little bit of a trickle up effect that this idea might ultimately work its way up to affect the NCAA tournament itself. Here's what I mean. You might also recall that earlier this year, the NCAA transformation committee, this is back in January, recommended uh, a new championship model where sports that had 200 plus participating schools would need to expand their postseason to include 25% of the participating teams. Well, then in July, at, at the phrase I've already used, the D1 Men's Basketball Committee came out and said, hey, we've looked at it after their July meetings and said that expansion is not imminent. That was early in that month. This was a big relief to those who love the current beauty of the perfect-looking bracket, leaving out, obviously, the... the play-in games, but just that that beauty of 64 teams slotting perfectly into four regions. In fact, at that time, Dan Gavitt, the NCAA Senior VP of Basketball, said, quote, the committee must be good stewards for the Division I Men's Basketball Championship. They're committed to doing their due diligence, looking at a few models to make an informed decision that's in the best interests of the championship, and that may very well include deciding against expansion. The committee and staff will continue studying options and gathering feedback from various constituents. Whether the tournament expands or not remains to be seen, end quote. Well, here's the thing, folks, that you well know living on the backside of that. Again, all those conversations took place in early July when the only expen uh, impending expansion at that point was 
the four former AAC teams coming into the Big 12. You're not all AAC, but Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, and BYU coming into the Big 12, Texas and OU to the SEC, and then UCLA and USC to the Big 10, all that next year. So that's like, all right, great. But then July 27th, we learn about Colorado rejoining the Big 12 next year, and then the floodgates open. Then you've got the implosion of the Pac-12 with all those teams eventually migrating east uh, outside of Washington State and Oregon State to the Big 12, Big 10, and ACC. That's all going to happen next year. So now we're looking at a scenario where you might have to expand for the preservation of the most beautiful thing in college sports, the NCAA basketball tournament. I know maybe that sounds a little backwards. We're going to keep getting into it, and hopefully it'll make a little more sense. Earlier this week, Dana O'Neill wrote a piece for The Athletic, which started thusly. She says, quote, college basketball, excuse me, college basketball's best defense against expansion could ironically be expansion, end quote. What? That that doesn't make sense. We got to expand so we don't expand. I'm confused. Maybe you're confused. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not confused. Let me explain to you what I believe she means. For example, one helpful way to think about it is let me expand Dana O'Neill's statement for you. Perhaps it could have been understood to say college basketball's best defense against massive expansion could ironically be a smaller expansion. Go ahead and expand the tournament a little bit so that you don't have to put up with full-blown expansion. The real threat, per Dana O'Neill, is that, quote, the football-playing schools opt out of the tournament altogether and form their own. Because, again, all of this trickles down from these decisions being made for football, for dollars, and all that. And then basketball, we got to figure out what to do with it. And so the, the fear is, if these new bigger conferences don't get what they want, they're going to take their ball and go home and form their own tournament. Because... If you stay at 68, here are two potential scenarios that could happen. On one hand, if you stay at 68, you know, after we've had the growing of what's now going to be the power four football conferences, one possibility is that not enough schools from those consolidated football power four conferences, again, that would be ACC, Big 12, Big 10, and SEC, not enough of those schools get in for their liking or for their commissioners. So they break off to do their own thing, creating a new tournament like the Fox thing, but with the actual legit good teams. That's a real thing. Or on um, on the other hand, the, the opposite could happen. Too many schools from the football power four conferences get in because if they have all the power, they're getting all the quad one games and nobody else is. And the bigger those conferences get, I imagine the more conference games are going to play. You see how that's kind of a cyclical issue for mid-major teams and smaller. So in the second scenario, too many schools from those four conferences get in. So it makes life even worse and more difficult and harder for the other 27 conferences. 27 plus four is 31. Keep in mind the Pac-12 is probably gone. And so we're down from 32 to 31. Save maybe the Big East. The Big East, you know, maybe the Mountain West, maybe the, you know, might be able to still get a couple in, but you get the point for what I'm saying. And I, for one, am resolute that we must continue to fight for the non-power conference schools in terms of NCAA tournament inclusion. They're part of the beautiful fabric of the NCAA tournament, and I, for one, refuse to lose that beauty. So here's what you have to do then. 
in order to appease both parts of this, helping keep uh, mid and low major teams in, but also not infuriating these bigger four conferences now and them going off to do their own thing. You have to find a middle ground that's fair enough to appease the big boys, but not so far to mess with the sanctity of the tournament for the purists. So to that end, Dana O'Neill suggests that that best middle ground is a, quote, smaller compromise rather than a full-blown jump from the current 68 teams up to 96. And here's the thing. We've been nibbling away at this thing for a while anyway, expanding to 64 teams in 1985, to 65 teams in 2001, to 68 teams in 2011, things like that. So here's what all of this means to me. If this is a real threat that we're looking at here, a real concern, fear of either those conferences breaking off or fear of not getting enough inclusion for what makes this tournament so beautiful as it is, then you've got to have something figured out for the 2025 NCAA tournament, which seems right now maybe like it's far away because we're sitting here in the fall of 2023. But think about this. In order to do that, You've got to have these changes in place by this time or earlier in next year, 12 months from now for 2024, because that's when all these final changes take place with all this conference movement. So in actuality, then you've got to have a plan in place this time next year before the 24-25 season even starts so that you know what you're doing at the end of the 25 season. But really, then that even goes further back, because think about this. If, if we're going to change some of how we're doing this, expand the tournament, whatever it means, that's going to play into how teams choose to create their schedules. So that means we have to figure this out before scheduling is finalized for the 24-25 season because schools need to figure out how to structure their non-conference schedules and conferences need to figure out how to um, align their conference schedules to put their member teams in the best position to make the NCAA tournament. You hear how all these dominoes are part of the same thing. So you got to keep working your way backwards with a timeline. So whatever the decision is, whether it's make changes to the NCAA tournament or whether it's don't make changes to the NCAA tournament, it has to be made sooner rather than later before we further erode the foundation of my beloved NCAA tournament any further. So uh, next round of meetings is coming up in October. I feel like you got to make a decision one way or the other there, stamp it firmly so that we all know where we're at and can move forward. And, and I just got to let a personal note slip into this because I can't take my basketball college basketball fandom out of this, right? Like I do this because this is my favorite thing in the world, college basketball in the NCAA tournament. And I want to be a champion for it. I want to ring the bell for college basketball and say, hear ye, hear ye. This is awesome, but we got to find ways to keep it awesome. On a personal note for me, part of what makes the NCAA tournament special is its exclusivity, not allowing 25% of your membership in. 68 teams right now, 32 automatic qualifiers from the 32 conferences in Division I, plus the next 36 best teams as determined by the selection committee. While still allow, so I, I want to keep that ex exclusivity but while still allowing representation from every D1 conference. And so that's what has to be figured out. But I don't want to do things that devalue the regular season. I don't want to do things that devalue conference tournaments. But I fear with massive expansion, that's exactly what's going to happen. Oh, it's cool if I go 17 and 17. I'm still going to make it because 
you know, half of D1 gets in or whatever it's going to be. But all of the, it feels like we're just stuck between a rock and a hard place. There's not right now a great decision either way. So let's say then that NCAA tournament expansion is now imminent (laughs) for its own sake, for its own survival, because that's what we're talking about here. If we want this thing to survive, perhaps change is necessary. What changes could we make? I've got several options to chew on. I don't love them, but I want to propose them so that we don't get caught when we have to make changes. I'm going to talk to you about those in just a second. But first, I need to tell you that this episode of Locked on College Basketball is brought to you by LinkedIn. These, do, these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's also super easy to create a job post on LinkedIn, which is free. And then you just add your your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're looking to hire. After that, you can use simple tools like screening questions, which make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and ultimately hire. And honestly, hiring the right team member is going to have a positive and measurable impact on your business. This is why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Folks, it's Friday, and you know what that means. The Locked On College Football Kickoff Live show is airing today, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on all the Locked On College YouTube channels. Hopefully, you're catching this in in enough time to go and check it out, so make sure you watch that today. All right, so Dana O'Neill was proposing a small compromise, which would be, you know, something to hold off maybe broad sweeping changes or broad sweeping expansion to the NCAA tournament. I just want to look at a couple different models, you know, one or two, maybe a little bit smaller, one or two, a little bit bigger and, and try to think about how, how much is enough to extend an olive branch to the SEC and big 10 and big 12 and ACC so that they don't get fed up and go home. So let me give you some options of what this could look like. Remember, right now we're at 68 teams. The 64 team field is like the exact thing that works. And we've got those um, play-in games on Tuesday and Wednesday leading into the tournament. And that's what we do there. So the first um, model I want to propose to you has 80 teams in it, 8-0. So this would add 12 more teams than we currently have. 16 more teams in total beyond that perfect 64. My guess would be that of those 12 teams that we we would be adding, probably, you know, seven or eight of those are going to be high major teams that were middling. And then four or five would be mid majors in any given year. And then what you do is basically you have 16 total play in games. So you would have Four play-in games in each region is what it would look like. And one of the things with it is you want to make sure that you're still benefiting your higher seeds. And so I wouldn't, you know, you got to look at what seed lines you would have those play-in games be. We're not going to get into the minutiae of that today, but I just want that to be a thing to think through. 
Um, I think one of the reasons 80 would work well is just because it's a round number, you know, and I think that would mean something to people. Um, but I also think that this is not so far that it would water down the product a ton, you know, like it, it's getting, it's getting you closer to that 25% that the D1 transformation committee is looking for. It's not quite 25%, but it would be 22% of the 363 teams in D1. And that's close enough. And so um, I would, you know, I'd, I'd talk about where those play-in games would be. I wouldn't want any of the top eight seeds in each region having to play um, like the top 32 teams on the S-curve. I wouldn't want them um, to be playing. So you, you got to have these play-in games be lower teams coming in to not playing those top eight. Um, and let's be honest, the bubble is always already full of middling to bad teams as it is. And this would be inviting those teams and then some to the dance. So keep in mind, if we're inviting 12 more teams into the NCAA tournament than we have now, that essentially means the teams that are usually first four out and next four out, those eight teams, they're in. Plus another four even beyond that. That's what we're talking about with 80 teams. So that's one possible scenario. Another, you could go all the way to 96. And that means you're just adding a third to it. Basically, you're taking the NCAA tournament and the NIT smashing it together is, is more or less what you're looking at. Um, and this would get you up above that 25% threshold. 25% of D1 is 90.75 teams. So 96 takes care of that and then a little bit. Part of it, and we'll look at what the bracket would actually look like here in a little bit, but in a bracket of that nature, you now have seven rounds with essentially what you would do is the top 32 teams or the top 32 seeds, excuse me, um, the top eight seeds in each uh, region getting a first round by. And then you've got teams nine through um, 16, nine through 32, excuse me, in each, not through 32, not 16 and then 17 on down to 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. 17 through 24 in each region would play play-in games. So that, I mean, that bracket would just be way too much, but it is what it is. So basically, you know, typically there've been the four play-in games in Dayton. You're eliminating that, and now you have 32 play-in games, or could think of it as adding 28 more play-in games to what you already have and teams seated nine through 24 in each region would play in the first round. But I mean, you start to think about bracketing issues. What happens when a team that should be a top eight seed and have a first round buy essentially has to get bumped to nine or below for bracketing principles and then has to play in a play in game. That's not fair, right? So th there's unintended consequences like that that are going to pop up. Now, my favorite thing though, with this 96 team scenario are there, to me, there's two versions of it that you could do. On one hand, you could do 96 teams with regular season auto bid, meaning you would give auto bids to every conference for their regular season conference champion and their conference tournament champion, if they're different. You know, if it's the same team, great, it's in, and that's more at large teams that are able to get in. But, you know, you get so many of those schools in the one traditional one bid leagues that they win their regular season, which to me is that's infinitely tougher and then get bounced in their conference tournament. They get relegated to the NIT right now. I, I think it'd be neat to see both of those teams get in, 
But also, here's what's cool, is that makes bid thievery, bid stealing, all the more interesting. Because if the number one seed from the regular season gets bounced, all it, there's another bubble burst, right? You know, So that would be kind of a cool thing of that. But you could also have a 96-team field where there's no regular season auto bid. And then that would just be that many more um, middling high major at large teams getting in, which I, I wouldn't necessarily want to see. However, the play-in round would be really interesting. And there would be so much discussion throughout the season about the importance of getting a first round by you want to be one of those top 32 teams in the nation then so there, there's definitely some intrigue with that 96 team bracket I'm, I'm not wholly opposed to it I just I'd rather stay where we are now and then the the big daddy scenario that some people have proposed Scott Drew at Baylor has proposed this proposed this Dennis Gates at Missouri proposed this last year a 128 team tournament um, so basically what that would do is add just a whole nother round. Like we are all of these models we're looking at add a seventh round or a bigger play in round, whatever you want to call it. This would mean every team would put like the national champion would have to play seven rounds themselves. So, um, and 128 teams, that's 35% of D1. So that's 10% higher than the transformation committee is even asking for. So, Obviously, there are tons of scenarios we could look at, ton of different bracket sizes and ways to do it. That's just a couple ways that I've thought of and been processing. But here's the thing. If that is some of the scenarios, that's going to incur all sorts of logistical issues. And what on earth would the scheduling look like? Because as you're adding an extra round, you got to have more days when these games are played. So I want to look at that and tell you what I think are some possible scenarios for that. And we'll get to it in just a moment. But first, I need to tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season week two with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 back in bonus bets, guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now's the best time to enjoy FanDuel. The app's super easy to use, and you can bet on everything from point spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we need to wrap up this conversation for today um, by just talking about schedule concerns. What changes do you have? How do you handle it? Because at this point, once you hit 80 and above, you have to rethink scheduling. You just do. It can't sit in the usual format that we have right now. Another part of it is that you have to keep it to the current three-week scenario. Because remember, the way the schedule works, uh, you have the national championship game, you know what I mean, on a Monday night, and then that Thursday starts the Masters. That's all CBS properties there, and so they want to keep it that way. So you cannot push back the back end of this thing unless you start involving other sports. And that's just not going to happen. So the only way to change and expand the length of the NCAA tournament is to either truncate the season, uh, like fewer games in one fewer week, or start the season a week earlier. Th those are possibilities to look at, but you cannot extend further on the back end. So we got to look at how do we adjust the NCAA tournament schedule. Now, on think about some things like this. In the current version of the tournament, you've got four teams playing 48 hours after the selection show, right? Selection show is Sunday night. And then on Tuesday night, 
you've got your first um, couple play-in games, right? Um, and so that's going on. And then a couple more on the next day on, um, on Wednesday. Not too bad, right? Um, but if you kept that schedule and even ballooned to 80 teams, that's now 16 teams playing 48 hours after the selection show and another 16 teams the next day. That is a complete logistical nightmare. We already have logistical issues in recent years with getting teams to their tournament sites on a quick turnaround. And I'm not just talking Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm talking the Thursday, the teams that are playing already in the main field. So imagine adding more than double the amount of teams to the play-in games that have to quickly move. That seems very, very difficult. And then imagine in a 96-team tournament, for example, you've got 64 teams playing in the first round already. So you you don't want two-thirds of your tournament playing Tuesday and Wednesday two, two and three days after announcing the field. Does that, does that make sense? Because with 96 teams, you're basically going to have the first round twice because the first two days of the tournament are going to be like the first two days of the existing tournament. And then days three and four are going to be like the first two days of the NCAA tournament because you've got a full 64 team bracket twice. You got the play in games and then the normal thing. So I see two options for that type of field. Number one, what you would do is start. Um, round one on Thursday and Friday, just like we do now, 16 games each day. And then round two, Saturday and Sunday, 16 games each day again, because that's what it would be now. And then you play round three, which is, you know, what we currently have is the second round where you pair it down to six, the sweet 16 would take place on Monday and Tuesday. So you'd have eight games each on those days. And then for the sweet 16 and elite eight, Instead of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would push it back to Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, Monday. And then you can still have the final four uh, the following Saturday in the national championship, the Monday. So it ends the same day. You just have to shift in the middle a little bit. Or instead of all that, start on Wednesday and Thursday. And then you go Wednesday, Thursday with the play-in round or round one, whatever you want to call it. Friday, Saturday. Saturday, Sun or uh, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, Monday with rounds two and three. And then you still do Friday, Saturday for the Sweet 16, Sunday, Monday for the Elite Eight, and then uh, Final Four on Saturday, National Champion on Monday. So in either scenario, teams that make the Sweet 16 have to play three games in five days, kind of like a play-in team right now making the Sweet 16 would have to do. But then after that, it's essentially standard to what we have Currently, other than you, you still have one less day in there somewhere. You either would have to do two days from what's now currently the third round to the Sweet 16, right? So if you end on a Monday, then you'd have Tuesday, Wednesday, and you start playing again on Thursday, or you end on Tuesday and start playing again on Friday, or two days instead of three from selection Sunday to the first round. So if selection Sunday was on selection Sunday took place on Sunday, and then you start playing on Wednesday, you've got Monday and Tuesday to get everyone where they need to go. And you start playing Wednesday, Thursday. So you got to cut out an extra day somewhere. But I think the biggest help in all that is the movement back one day of the sweet 16 and elite eight games um, to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Monday. I think that's the key to this of what you would have to do. One less day there. 
or in the 128 team scenario, I, I think in this one, you have to start Thursday because on Thursday, Friday, you've got 32 games each day. Woo, that is so much. And then round two in this new scenario, remember now we have seven instead of six rounds. So round two, you'd have 16 games on Saturday, Sunday, and then round three would be eight games each on Monday and Tuesday. And then the same thing I just proposed. You would play to give a little more space since you're now playing until Tuesday. You would play the Sweet 16 games Friday and Saturday instead of Thursday, Friday. And you would play the Elite 8 games Sunday and Monday. And then, same thing, Final Four on Saturday, National Championship on Monday. It's doable. The schedule for this is doable. It's just a little more concentrated than what we currently have. So, uh, again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you would do with the schedule, but that's probably how I would handle it. Um, is just a little bit of movement within, but still ultimately playing the final four on Saturday and then the national championship the first Monday there in April. Now, a, a couple notes on this is you would have to double the number of venues for round one since you now have 32 games each of those two days. And so instead, typically right now we have um, 16 games on that first Thursday and Friday, the two most special days of the year. So you got four windows of four games. Now you would... Still want to keep those four windows because that's the best thing, but you'd have to have eight games in each window to make that work. So that's just a couple of the other logistical hiccups you got to deal with. So all of this to say, NCAA tournament expansion might be more imminent than we had really realized and necessary to keep things afloat. But if we're going to expand it big, there is a lot that has to take place and a lot of changes that have to happen. So this is why Dana O'Neill, I believe, is, is proposing a maybe a small compromise so that you don't have to upset the apple cart quite as much. Remains to be seen what's going to happen. We'll obviously keep our eyes on it going forward. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in to Locked on College Basketball this week. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked on CBB. You can follow me at Isaac Shade. Please make sure to subscribe on audio and video platforms. Smash the like button so we know you're here. And seriously, would love to hear your comments and thoughts on all of this wildness. As always, apologies to the lawyer family. Go Wildcats! And until Monday, peace.